How does Bambi survive the twists and turns of growing up without his mother? Felix Salton. Today on the Classic Tales podcast. Welcome to the Classic Tales podcast. Thank you for listening. The Classic Tales podcast is listener supported. If you enjoy listening to the Classic Tales, please consider becoming a supporting member. It helps support the podcast, and it's a great way to build out your library of classics. By making a monthly donation of just $5, you'll receive a corresponding thank you code for an $8 discount off any audiobook order. Donate $10 a month or more, and you get a $17 discount. You win, and we get to keep going strong. Go now to ClassicTalesAudiobooks.com and become a member today. We'd like to thank Spotify for being a partnering sponsor. I only have a few chapters left to record of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I have one of my proofers going through it now. I hope to have it available within the next few weeks. Be sure to keep your subscription current, as I'll be sending the entire audiobook out to all current supporters. This was quite a feat, and I'm excited to see it coming to a successful close. Again, we've been nominated for a Sovas Award, Best Podcast of 2019, along with two nominations in the Thriller Audiobook category. Can you believe it? The awards gala is on November 17th. Hopefully the stars will align so I can walk the red carpet. Previously winners in other categories for the Sovas Awards include Lily Tomlin, James Earl Jones, Scott Brick, and Sigourney Weaver. It's a pretty prestigious award, and I'm very excited. If you're dying for some horror stories during Halloween season, app users can discover a scary story in the special features during the month of October. This week, we feature The Squaw by Bram Stoker. Marcus Aurelius will continue in November. I discovered a connection between my son Basil, Bambi, and Frankenstein. Okay, bear with me here. The third Frankenstein film, Son of Frankenstein, which came out in 1939, starred Basil Rathbone as Wolf von Frankenstein and Donnie Dunnigan as his son, Peter von Frankenstein. This is where it gets a little crazy. Little Donnie Dunnigan is the voice of young Bambi in the Disney film. And I named my son after Basil Rathbone. Have you ever listened to Basil Rathbone? Because he's freaking awesome. Son of Frankenstein is also the last time Boris Karloff would play the monster. Yeah, I think if you look hard enough, you find connections kind of anywhere. And now, Bambi, part three of four, by Felix Salton. Chapter 11 At last, the willows shed their catkins. Everything was turning green, but the young leaves on the trees and bushes were still tiny. Glowing with the soft early morning light, they looked fresh and smiling, like children who have just awakened from sleep. Bambi was standing in front of a hazel bush, beating his new antlers against the wood. It was very pleasant to do that, and an absolute necessity besides, since skin and hide still covered his splendid antlers. The skin had to come off, of course, and no sensible creature would ever wait until it split of its own accord. Bambi pounded his antlers till the skin split and long strips of it dangled about his ears. As he pounded on the hazel stems again and again, he felt how much stronger his antlers were than the wood. This feeling shot through him in a rush of power and pride. He beat more fiercely on the hazel bush and tore its bark into long pieces. The white body of the tree showed naked and quickly turned a rusty red in the open air. But Bambi paid no attention to that. He saw the bright wood of the tree flash under his strokes, and it heartened him. A whole row of hazel bushes bore traces of his work. "'Well, you are nearly grown now,' said a cheerful voice close by. Bambi tossed his head and looked around him. There sat the squirrel, observing him in a friendly way. 
From overhead came a short, shrill laugh. <laughs> Bambi and the squirrel were both half-frightened. But the woodpecker, who was clinging to an oak trunk, called down, Excuse me, but I always have to laugh when I see you deer acting like that. What is there to laugh at? asked Bambi politely. Oh, said the woodpecker. You go at things in such a wrong-headed way. In the first place, you ought to try big trees, for you can't get anything out of those little wisps of hazel stalks. What should I get out of them? Bambi asked. Bugs, said the woodpecker with a laugh. Bugs and grubs. Look, do like this. He drummed on the oak trunk. Tack, 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 tack. The squirrel rushed up and scolded him. What are you talking about? he said. The prince isn't looking for bugs and grubs. Why not? said the woodpecker in high glee. They taste fine. He bit a bug in half, swallowed it, and began drumming again. You don't understand, the squirrel went on scolding. A noble lord like that has far other, far higher aims. You're only casting reflection on yourself by such talk. It's all the same to me, answered the woodpecker. A fig for higher aims, he cried cheerfully and fluttered away. The squirrel bustled down again. Don't you remember me, he said, putting on a pleased expression. Very well, answered Bambi in a friendly way. Do you live up there? he asked, pointing to the oak. The squirrel looked at him good-humoredly. You're mixing me up with my grandmother, he said. I knew you were mixing me up with her. My grandmother used to live up there when you were just a baby, Prince Bambi. She often told me about you. The ferret killed her long ago, last winter. You may remember it. Yes, Bambi nodded. I've heard about it. Well, afterwards my father settled here, the squirrel went on. He sat erect and held both forepaws politely over his white chest. But maybe you've got me mixed up with my father, too. Did you know my father? I'm sorry. Bambi replied, but I never had that pleasure. I thought so, the squirrel exclaimed satisfied. Father was so surly and so shy. He had nothing to do with anybody. Where is he now? Bambi inquired. Oh, said the squirrel. The owl caught him a month ago. Yes, and now I'm living up there myself. I'm quite content since I was born up there. Bambi turned to go. Wait! cried the squirrel quickly. I didn't mean to talk about all that. I wanted to say something quite different. Bambi stopped. What is it? He asked patiently. Yes, said the squirrel. What is it? He thought a little while, and then gave a quick skip and sat erect, balancing with his splendid tail. He looked at Bambi. Right you are, he chattered on. Now I know what it was. I wanted to say that your antlers are almost grown now and that you are going to be a remarkably handsome person. Do you really think so? asked Bambi joyfully. Remarkably handsome, cried the squirrel, and pressed his forepaws rapturously against his white chest. So tall, so stately, with such long, bright prongs to your antlers, you don't often see the like. Really? Bambi asked. He was so delighted that he immediately began to beat the hazel stems again. He tore off long ribbons of bark. All the while the squirrel kept on talking. I must say that very few have antlers like those at your age. It doesn't seem possible. I saw you several times from a distance last summer, and I can hardly believe that you're the same creature. You were such a thin little shaver then. Bambi suddenly grew silent. Goodbye, he said hastily. I have to go now. And he ran off. He didn't like to be reminded of last summer. He had had a difficult time of it since then. At first, after his mother's disappearance, he had felt quite lost. The long winter was interminable. Spring came hesitatingly, and it was late before things began to turn green. Without old Netla, Bambi might not even have pulled through at all. But she looked after him and helped him where she could. In spite of that, he was alone a good deal. He missed Gobo at every turn. Poor Gobo, who was dead too, like the rest of them. Bambi thought of him often during that winter, and for the first time he really began to appreciate how good and lovable Gobo had been. He seldom saw Feline. She stayed with her mother most of the time, 
and seemed to have grown unusually shy. Later, when it had finally grown warm, Bambi began to feel his old self once more. He flourished his first antler on high and was very proud of it, but bitter disappointment soon followed. The other bucks chased him whenever they saw him. They drove him away angrily. They would not let him come near them until finally he was afraid to take a step for fear of being caught. He was afraid to show himself anywhere and slunk along hidden trails in a very downcast frame of mind. As the summer days grew warmer, a remarkable restlessness seized him. His heart felt more and more oppressed with a sense of longing that was both pleasant and painful. Whenever he chanced to see Feline or one of her friends, though only at a distance, a rush of incomprehensible excitement crept over him. Often it happened that he recognized her track, or the air he snuffed told him she was near. Then he would feel himself irresistibly drawn towards her. But when he gave way to his desire, he always came to grief. Either he met no one, and after wandering around for a long while, had to admit that they were avoiding him, or he ran across one of the bucks who immediately sprang at him, beat and kicked him, and chased him disgracefully away. Rano and Karus had treated him worst of all. No, that hadn't been a happy time. And now the squirrel had stupidly reminded him of it. Suddenly he became quite wild and started to run. The titmice and hedge sparrows flitted, frightened, through the bushes as he passed, and asked each other in a fluster, What was that? Bambi did not hear them. A couple of magpies chattered nervously. What happened? The jay cried angrily, What is the matter with you? Bambi paid no attention to him. Overhead, the yellow birds sang from tree to tree, Good morning! I'm happy! Bambi did not answer. The thicket was very bright and shot through with sunbeams. Bambi did not stop to think about such things. Suddenly there was a loud whirr of wings. A whole rainbow of gorgeous colors flashed from under Bambi's very feet and shone so close to his eyes that he stopped, dazzled. It was Jonello, the pheasant. He had flown up in terror, for Bambi had nearly stepped on him. He fled away, scolding. I never heard of such a thing, he cried in his split, cackling voice. Bambi stood still in astonishment and stared after him. It turned out all right this time, but it really was inconsiderate, said a soft, twittering voice close to the ground. It was Jonalina, the pheasant's wife. She was sitting on the ground, hovering over her eggs. My husband was terribly frightened. She went on in an irritable tone, and so was I. But I don't dare stir from this spot. I wouldn't stir from this spot no matter what happened. You could step on me, and I wouldn't move. Bambi was a little embarrassed. I beg your pardon, he stammered. I didn't mean to do it. Oh, not at all, the pheasant's wife replied. It was nothing so dreadful after all. My husband and I are so nervous at present. You can understand why. Bambi didn't understand why at all and went on. He was quieter now. The forest sang around him. The light grew more radiant and warmer. The leaves on the bushes, the grass underfoot, and the moist, steaming earth began to smell more sweetly. Bambi's young strength swelled within him and streamed through all his limbs so that he walked around stiffly with awkward, restrained movements like a mechanical thing. He went up to a low alder shrub and, lifting his feet high, beat on the earth with such savage blows that the dirt flew. His two sharp-pointed hoofs cut the turf that grew there. They scraped away the wood vetch and leeks, the violets and snowbells, till the bare earth was furrowed in front of him. Every blow sounded dully. Two moles, who were grubbing among the tangled roots of an old sycamore tree, grew anxious, and looking out, saw Bambi. That's a ridiculous way to do things, said one mole. Whoever heard of anybody digging that way? The other mole drew down one corner of his mouth in a scornful sneer. He doesn't know anything. You can see that right off, he said. But that's the way it is when people meddle with things they know nothing about. Suddenly, Bambi listened, tossed up his head, listened again, and peered through the leaves. 
A flash of red showed through the branches. The prongs of an antler gleamed indistinctly. Bambi snorted. Whoever it might be who was circling around him, whether it was Krauss or somebody else, didn't matter. Forward, thought Bambi as he charged. I'll show them that I'm not afraid of them, he thought as though suddenly exultant. I'll show them that they'd better look out for me. The branches rustled with the fury of his charge. The bushes cracked and broke. Then Bambi saw the other deer right in front of him. He did not recognize him, for everything was swimming before his eyes. He thought of nothing but forward. His antlers lowered. He rushed on. All his strength was concentrated in his shoulders. He was ready for the blow. Then he smelt his opponent's hide. But he saw nothing ahead of him but the red wall of his flank. Then the other stag made a very slight turn, and Bambi, not meeting the resistance he expected, charged past him into the empty air. He nearly went head over heels. He staggered, pulled himself together, and made ready for a fresh onslaught. Then he recognized the old stag. Bambi was so astonished that he lost his self-possession. He was ashamed to run away, as he would have liked to do, but he was also ashamed to stay there. He didn't move. "'Well?' asked the old stag, quietly and gently. His voice was so frank and yet so commanding, it pierced Bambi to the heart. He was silent. "'Well?' the old stag repeated. "'I—I I, I thought—' Bambi stammered. I, "'I thought it was Rono, or—' He stopped and risked a shy glance at the old stag and this glance confused him still more. The old stag stood motionless and powerful. His head had turned completely white by now, and his proud dark eyes glowed in their depths. Why don't you charge me? the old stag asked. Bambi looked at him, filled with a wonderful ecstasy, and shaken by a mysterious tremor. He wanted to cry out, It's because I love you. But he merely answered, I don't know. The old stag looked at him. It's been a long time since I've seen you, he said. You've grown big and strong. Bambi did not answer. He trembled with joy. The old stag went on examining him critically. Then he came unexpectedly up to Bambi, who was terribly frightened. Act bravely said the old stag. He turned around, and in the next moment had disappeared. Bambi remained in that place for a long while. Chapter 12 It was summer and sizzling hot. The same longing he had felt before began to stir again in Bambi, but much more strongly now than then. It seethed in his blood and made him restless. He strayed far afield. One day he met Feline. He met her quite unexpectedly, for his thoughts were so confused, his senses so clouded by the restless desire that raged within him, that he did not even recognize Feline. She was standing in front of him. Bambi stared at her speechless for a while. Then he said as though fascinated, How beautiful you have grown, Feline. So you recognized me again, Feline replied. How could I help recognizing you, cried Bambi. Didn't we grow up together? Feline sighed. It's a long time since we've seen each other, she said. Then she added, People grow to be strangers. But she was already using her gay, bantering tone again. They remained together. I used to walk on this path with my mother when I was a child. Bambi said after a while. It leads to the meadow, said Feline. I saw you for the first time on the meadow, said Bambi, a little solemnly. Do you remember? Yes, Feline replied. Gobo and me. She sighed softly and said, Poor Gobo. Bambi repeated, Poor Gobo. Then they began to talk about old times, and asked each other every minute, Do you remember? Each saw that the other still remembered everything, 
and they were both pleased at that. Do you remember how we used to play tag on the meadow? Bambi reminisced. Yes, it was like this, said Feline, and she was off like an arrow. At first Bambi hung back, somewhat surprised, and then he rushed after her. Wait, wait, he cried joyously. I can't wait, teased Feline. I'm in too much of a hurry. And bounding lightly away, she ran in a circle through the grass and bushes. At last, Bambi caught up with her and barred the way. Then they stood quietly side by side. They laughed contentedly. Suddenly, Feline leaped into the air as though someone had hit her and bounded off anew. Bambi rushed after her. Feline raced around and around, always managing to elude him. Stop, Bambi panted. I want to ask you something. Feline stopped. What do you want to ask me? She inquired curiously. Bambi was silent. Oh, so you're only fooling me, said Feline, and started to turn away. No, said Bambi quickly. Stop, stop, I wanted... I wanted to ask you... Do you love me, Feline? She looked at him more curiously than before, and a little guardedly. I don't know, she said. But you must know, Bambi insisted. I know very well that I love you. I love you terribly, Feline. Tell me, don't you love me? Maybe I do, she answered coyly. And will you stay with me? Bambi demanded passionately. If you ask me nicely, Feline said happily. Please do, Feline, dear, beautiful, beloved Feline, cried Bambi, beside himself with love. Do you hear me? I want you with all my heart. Then I'll certainly stay with you, said Feline gently, and ran away. In ecstasy, Bambi darted after her again. Feline fled straight across the meadow, swerved about, and vanished into the thicket. But as Bambi swerved to follow her, there was a fierce rustling in the bushes, and Karus sprang out. Halt! he cried. Bambi did not hear him. He was too busy with Feline. Let me pass, he said hurriedly. I haven't time for you. Get out, Karus commanded angrily. Get away from here this minute, or I'll shake you until there's no breath left in your body. I forbid you to follow Feline. The memory of last summer, when he had been so often and so miserably hunted, awakened in Bambi. Suddenly he became enraged. He did not say a word, but without waiting any longer, rushed at Karus with his antlers lowered. His charge was irresistible, and before he knew what had happened, Karus was lying in the grass. He was up again quicker than a flash, but was no sooner on his feet than a new attack made him stagger. Bambi, he cried. Bamp. He tried to cry again, but a third blow that glanced off his shoulder nearly choked him with pain. Karus sprang to one side in order to elude Bambi, who came rushing on again. Suddenly he felt strangely weak. At the same time he realized with a qualm that this was a life-and-death struggle. Cold terror seized him. He turned to flee from the silent Bambi, who came rushing after him. Karus knew that Bambi was furious and would kill him without mercy and that thought numbed his wits completely. He fled from the path, and with a final effort burst through the bushes. His one hope was of escape. All at once, Bambi ceased chasing him. Karus did not even notice this in his terror, and kept straight on through the bushes as fast as he could go. Bambi had stopped, because he had heard Feline's shrill call. He listened as she called again in distress and fear. Suddenly he faced about and rushed back, when he reached the meadow, he saw Rano pursuing Feline, who had fled into the thicket. Rano? cried Bambi. He did not even realize that he had called. Rano, who could not run very fast because of his lameness, stood still. Oh, there's our little Bambi, he said scornfully. You want something from me? I do, said Bambi, quietly, but in a voice which control and overpowering anger had completely altered. I want you to let Feline alone, and to leave here immediately. Is that all? sneered Rano. What an insolent gammon you've got to be. 
I wouldn't have thought it possible. Rano, said Bambi, still more softly. It's for your own sake. If you don't go now, you'll be glad to run later. But then you'll never be able to run again. Is that so? cried Rano in a rage. Do you dare to talk to me like that? It's because I limp, I suppose. Most people don't even notice it. Or maybe you think I'm afraid of you, too, because Karus was such a pitiful coward. I give you fair warning. No, Rano, Bambi broke in. I'll do all the warning. Go. His voice trembled. I always liked you, Rano. I always thought you were very clever and respected you, because you were older than I am. I tell you once and for all, go. I haven't any patience left. It's a pity you have so little patience, Rano said with a sneer. A great pity for you, my boy. But be easy. I'll soon finish you off. You won't have long to wait. Maybe you've forgotten how often I used to chase you. At the thought of that, Bambi had nothing more to say. Nothing could hold him back. Like a wild beast, he tore at Rano, who met him with his head lowered. They charged together with a crash. Rano stood firm, but wondered why Bambi did not blench back. The sudden charge had dazed him, for he had not expected that Bambi would attack him first. Uneasily, he felt Bambi's giant strength and saw that he must keep himself well in hand. He tried to turn a trick as they stood, forehead pressed against forehead. He suddenly shifted his weight so that Bambi lost his balance and staggered forward. Bambi braced with his hind legs and hurled himself on Rano with redoubled fury before he had time to regain his footing. A prong broke from Rano's antlers with a loud snap. Rano thought his forehead was shattered. The sparks danced before his eyes, and there was a roaring in his ears. The next moment, a terrific blow tore open his shoulder. His breath failed him, and he fell to the ground, with Bambi standing over him furiously. Let me go, Rano groaned. Bambi charged blindly at him. His eyes flashed. He seemed to have no thought of mercy. Please stop, whined Rano pitifully. Don't you know that I'm lame? I was only joking. Spare me. Can't you take a joke? Bambi let him alone without a word. Rano rose wearily. He was bleeding, and his legs tottered. He slunk off in silence. Bambi started for the thicket to look for Feline, but she came out of her own accord. She had been standing at the edge of the woods and had seen it all. That was wonderful, she said laughingly. Then she added softly and very seriously, I love you. They walked on very happily together. Chapter 13 one day, they went to look for the little clearing in the depth of the woods where Bambi had last met the old stag. Bambi told Feline all about the old stag and grew enthusiastic. Maybe we'll meet him again, he said. I'd like you to see him. It would be nice, said Feline boldly. I'd really like to chat with him once myself. But she wasn't telling the truth. For though she was very inquisitive, she was afraid of the old stag. The twilight was already dusky gray. Sunset was near. They walked softly side by side, where the leaves hung quivering on the shrubs and bushes, and permitted a clear view in all directions. Presently there was a rustling sound nearby. They stopped and looked towards it. Then the old stag marched slowly and powerfully through the bushes into the clearing. In the drab twilight, he seemed like a gigantic gray shadow. Feline uttered an involuntary cry. Bambi controlled himself. He was terrified too, and a cry stuck in his throat. But Feline's voice sounded so helpless that pity seized him and made him want to comfort her. What's the matter? He whispered solicitously, while his voice quavered. What's the matter with you? He isn't going to hurt us. Feline simply shrieked again. Don't be so terribly upset, my love, Bambi pleaded. It's ridiculous to be so frightened by him. After all, 
He's one of our own family. But Feline wouldn't be comforted. She stood stock still, staring at the stag, who went along unconcerned. Then she shrieked and shrieked, Pull yourself together, Bambi begged. What will he think of us? But Feline was not to be quieted. He can think what he likes. She cried, bleating again. Ow! Bow! It's terrible to be so big! She bleated again. Bow! Leave me! She went on. I can't help it! I have to bleat! Bow! 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 The stag was standing in the little clearing, looking for tidbits in the grass. Fresh courage came to Bambi, who had one eye on the hysterical Feline, the other on the placid stag. With the encouragement he had given Feline, he had conquered his own fears. He began to reproach himself for the pitiful state he was in whenever he saw the old stag, a state of mingled terror and excitement, admiration and submissiveness. It's perfectly absurd, he said with painful decision. I'm going straight over to tell him who I am. Don't, cried Feline. Don't, Bao! Something terrible will happen, Bao! I'm going anyway, answered Bambi. The stag, who was feasting so calmly, not paying the slightest attention to the weeping Feline, seemed altogether too haughty to him. He felt offended and humiliated. I'm going, he said. Be quiet. You'll see, nothing will happen. Wait for me here. He went, but Feline did not wait. She hadn't the least desire or courage to do so. She faced about and ran away crying, for she thought it was the best thing she could do. Bambi could hear her going farther and farther away, bleating, Bao, Bao. Bambi would gladly have followed her, but that was no longer possible. He pulled himself together and went forward. Through the branches, he saw the stag standing in the clearing, his head close to the ground. Bambi felt his heart pounding as he stepped out. The stag immediately lifted his head and looked at him. Then he gazed absently straight ahead again. The way in which the stag gazed into space, as though no one else were there, seemed as haughty to Bambi as the way he had stared at him. Bambi did not know what to do. He had come with a firm intention of speaking to the stag. He wanted to say, Good day, I am Bambi. May I ask to know your honorable name also? Yes, it all seemed very easy, but now it appeared that the affair was not so simple. What good were the best of intentions now? Bambi did not want to seem ill-bred, as he would be if he went off without saying a word. But he did not want to seem forward either and he would be if he began the conversation. The stag was wonderfully majestic. It delighted Bambi and made him feel humble. He tried in vain to arouse his courage and kept asking himself, Why do I let him frighten me? Am I not just as good as he is? But it was no use. Bambi continued to be frightened and felt in his heart of hearts that he really was not as good as the old stag. Far from it. He felt wretched and had to use all his strength to keep himself steady. The old stag looked at him and thought, He's handsome. He's really charming. So delicate, so poised. So elegant in his whole bearing. I must not stare at him, though. It really isn't the thing to do. Besides, it might embarrass him so he stared over Bambi's head into the empty air again. What a haughty look, thought Bambi. It's unbearable, the opinion such people have of themselves. The stag was thinking, I'd like to talk to him. He looks so sympathetic. How stupid never to speak to people we don't know. He looked thoughtfully ahead of him. I might as well be air, said Bambi to himself. This fellow acts as though he were the only thing on the face of the earth. What should I say to him? The old stag was wondering. I'm not used to talking. I'd say something stupid and make myself ridiculous, for he's undoubtedly very clever. Bambi pulled himself together and looked fixedly at the stag. How splendid he is, he thought despairingly. Well, 
some other time, perhaps. The stag decided and walked off, dissatisfied but majestic. Bambi remained filled with bitterness. Chapter 14 The forest sweltered under a scorching sun. Since it rose, it had driven even the tiniest cloudlet from the sky, and shone all alone in the wide blue depths that were pallid now with heat. Over the meadows and the treetops, the air quivered in glassy, transparent ripples as it does over a flame. Not a leaf was moving, not a blade of grass. The birds were silent and sat hidden among the shady leaves, never stirring from their places. All the paths and trails of the thicket were empty. Not a creature was abroad. The forest lay as though hurt by the blinding light. The earth and the trees, the bushes, the beasts breathed in the intense heat with a kind of sluggish satisfaction. Bambi was asleep. He had made merry with Feline all night. He had pranced around with her until broad daylight, and in his bliss he had even forgotten to eat. But he had grown so tired that he did not feel hungry any more. His eyes fell shut. He lay down where he happened to be standing in the middle of the bushes and fell asleep at once. The bitter, acrid odor that streamed from the sun-warmed juniper and the penetrating scent of spurge laurel mounted to his head while he slept and gave him new strength. Suddenly he awoke in a daze. Had Feline called him? Bambi looked around. He remembered seeing Feline as he lay down, standing close beside him near the white thorn, nibbling the leaves. He had supposed she would remain near him, but she was gone. Apparently she had grown tired of being alone by now and was calling for him to come and look for her. As Bambi listened, he wondered how long he could have slept and how often Feline had called. He wasn't sure. Veils of sleep still clouded his thought. Then she called again. With a sidewise spring, Bambi turned in the direction the sound came from. Then he heard it again, and suddenly he felt perfectly happy. He was wonderfully refreshed, quieted and strengthened, but racked by a terrific appetite. The call came again clearly, thin as a bird's twittering, tender and full of longing. Come, come, it said. Yes, that was her voice. That was Feline. Bambi rushed away so fast that the dry branches barely crackled as he burst through the bushes, and the hot green leaves scarcely rustled. But he had to stop short in the midst of his course and swerve to one side, for the old stag was standing there, barring his path. Bambi had no time for anything but love. The old stag was indifferent to him now. He would meet him again somewhere later on. He had no time for old stags now, however noble they might be. He had thoughts for Feline alone. He greeted the stag hastily and tried to hurry by. Where are you going? asked the old stag earnestly. Bambi was somewhat embarrassed and tried to think of an evasion, but he changed his mind and answered truthfully. To her. Don't go, said the old stag. For a second, a single angry spark flared up in Bambi's mind. Not go to Feline? How could the mean old stag ask that? I'll simply run off, Bambi thought, and he looked quickly at the old stag. But the deep look that met him in the old stag's eyes held him fast. He quivered with impatience, but he did not run away. She's calling me, he said in explanation. He said it in a tone which clearly bleated, Don't keep me talking here. No, said the old stag. She isn't calling. The call came once again, thin as a bird's twittering. Come! Listen! Bambi cried excitedly. There it is again! I hear it, said the old stag, nodding. Well, goodbye! Bambi flung back hurriedly. Stop! the old stag commanded. What do you want? Bambi cried, beside himself with impatience. Let me go! I have no time! Please! Feline is calling! You ought to see that! 
I tell you, the old stag said, that it isn't she. Bambi was desperate. But, he said, I know her voice. Listen to me, the old stag went on. Again the call came. Bambi felt the ground burning under his feet. Later, he pleaded, I'll come right back. No, said the old stag sadly. You'll never come back. Never again. The call came again. I must go. I must go, cried Bambi, who was nearly out of his wits. Then, the old stag declared in a commanding voice, we'll go together. Quickly, cried Bambi, and bounded off. No, slowly, commanded the old stag, in a voice that forced Bambi to obey. Stay in back of me. Move one step at a time. The old stag began to move forward. Bambi followed, sighing with impatience. Listen, said the old stag without stopping. No matter how often that call comes, don't stir from my side. If it's Feline, you'll get to hear her soon enough. But it isn't Feline. Don't let yourself be tempted. Everything depends now on whether you trust me or not. Bambi did not dare to resist, and surrendered in silence. The old stag advanced slowly, and Bambi followed him. Oh, how cleverly the old stag moved! Not a sound came from under his hoofs. Not a leaf was disturbed. Not a twig snapped. And yet they were gliding through thick bushes, slinking through the ancient tangled thicket. Bambi was amazed, and had to admire him in spite of his impatience. He had never dreamed that anybody could move like that. The call came again and again. The old stag stood still, listening and nodding his head. Bambi stood beside him, shaken with desire and suffering from restraint. He could not understand it at all. Several times the old stag stopped, although no call had come, and lifted his head, listening and nodding. Bambi heard nothing. The old stag turned away from the direction of the call and made a detour. Bambi raged inwardly because of it. The call came again and again. At last they drew nearer to it, then still nearer. At last they were quite near. The old stag whispered, No matter what you see, do not move. Do you hear? Watch everything I do and act just as I do cautiously, and don't lose your head. They went a few steps farther, and suddenly that sharp, arresting scent that Bambi knew so well struck them full in the face. He swallowed so much of it that he nearly cried out. He stood as though rooted to the ground. For a moment his heart seemed pounding in his throat. The old stag stood calmly beside him and motioned with his eyes. He was standing there. He was standing quite close to them, leaning against the trunk of an oak, hidden by hazel bushes. He was calling softly, Come, come. Bambi was completely bewildered. He was so terrified that he began to understand only by degrees that it was he who was imitating Feline's voice. It was he who was calling, Come, come! Cold terror shot through Bambi's body. The idea of flight gripped him and tugged at his heart. Be still, whispered the old stag quickly and commandingly, as if he meant to forestall any outbreak of fear. Bambi controlled himself with an effort. The old stag looked at him a little scornfully at first, it seemed to Bambi. He noticed it, in spite of the state he was in but the stag changed at once to a serious and kindly look. Bambi peered out with blinking eyes to where he was standing and felt as if he could not bear his horrible presence any longer. As if he had read his thought, the old stag whispered to him, Let's go back, and turned about. They glided away cautiously. The old stag moved with a marvelous zigzag course, whose purpose Bambi did not understand. 
Again he followed with painfully controlled impatience. The longing for Feline had harassed him on the way over. Now the impulse to flee was beating through his veins. But the old stag walked on slowly, stopping and listening. He would begin a new zigzag, then stop again, going very slowly ahead. By this time they were far from the danger spot. If he stops again, thought Bambi, it ought to be all right to speak to him by now, and I'll thank him. But at that moment, the old stag vanished under his very eyes into a thick tangle of dogwood shrubs. Not a leaf stirred, not a twig snapped, as the stag slipped away. Bambi followed and tried to get through as noiselessly, and to avoid every sound with as much skill, but he was not so lucky. The leaves swished gently. The boughs bent against his flanks and spread again with a loud twang. Dry branches broke against his chest with sharp, piercing snaps. He saved my life, Bambi kept thinking. What can I say to him? But the old stag was nowhere to be seen. Bambi came out of the bushes. Around him was a sea of yellow, flowering goldenrod. He raised his head and looked around. Not a leaf was moving as far as he could see. He was all alone. Freed from all control, the impulse to flee suddenly carried him away. The golden rods parted with a loud swish beneath his bounding hoofs, as though under the stroke of a scythe. After wandering about for a long time, he found Feline. He was breathless, tired and happy, and deeply stirred. Please, beloved, he said. Please don't ever call me again. We'll search until we find each other, but please don't ever call me, for I can't resist your voice. Chapter 15 A few days later, they were walking carefree together through an oak thicket on the far side of the meadow. They had to cross the meadow in order to reach their old trail where the tall oak stood. As the bushes grew thinner around them, they stopped and peered out. Something red was moving near the oak. Both of them looked at it. Who can it be? whispered Bambi. Probably Rano or Karus, said Feline. Bambi doubted it. They don't dare come near me any more, Bambi said, peering sharply ahead. No, he decided. That's not Karus or Rano. It's a stranger. Feline agreed, surprised and very curious. Yes, she said. It's a stranger. I see it too now. How curious. They watched him. How carelessly he acts, exclaimed Feline. Stupid, said Bambi. Really stupid. He acts like a little child, as if there were no danger. Let's go over, Feline proposed. Her curiosity was getting the better of her. All right, Bambi answered. Let's go. I want to have a better look at the fellow. They took a few steps, and then Feline stopped. Suppose he wants to fight you, she said. He's strong. Bah, said Bambi, holding his head cocked and putting on a disdainful air. Look at the little antlers he has. Should I be afraid of that? The fellow is fat and sleek enough, but is he strong? I don't think so. Come along. They went on. The stranger was busy nibbling meadow grass and did not notice them until they were a good way across the meadow. Then he ran forward to meet them. He gave joyful, playful skips that made a curiously childish impression. Bambi and Feline stopped, surprised, and waited for him. When he was a few steps off, he stood still likewise. After a while, he asked, Don't you know me? Bambi had lowered his head prepared for battle. Do you know us? he retorted. The stranger interrupted him. Bambi! he cried reproachfully, yet confidently. Bambi was startled to hear his name spoken. The sound of that voice stirred an old memory in his heart. But Feline had rushed towards the stranger. Gobo! she cried, and became speechless. She stood there silent without moving. She couldn't breathe. Feline, 
said Gobo softly. Feline, sister, you knew me anyway. He went to her and kissed her mouth. The tears were running down his cheeks. Feline was crying too and couldn't speak. Well, Gobo, Bambi began. His voice trembled and he felt very bewildered. He was deeply moved and very much surprised. Well, so you're not dead, he said. Gobo burst out laughing. You see that I'm not dead, he said. At least I think you can see that I'm not. But what happened that time in the snow? Bambi persisted. Oh, then? Gobo said thoughtfully. He rescued me then. And where have you been all this time? asked Feline in astonishment. With him, Gobo replied. I've been with him all this time. He grew silent and looked at Feline and at Bambi. Their helpless astonishment delighted him. Then he added, Yes, my dears, I've seen a lot more than all of you put together in your old forest. He sounded somewhat boastful, but they paid no attention to it. They were still too much absorbed in their great surprise. Tell us about it, cried Feline, beside herself with joy. Oh, said Gobo with satisfaction. I could talk all day about it and never reach the end. Well then, go ahead and talk, Bambi urged. Gobo turned to Feline and grew serious. Is mother still alive? he asked timidly and softly. Yes, cried Feline gladly. She's alive, but I haven't seen her for a long while. I'm going to see her right away said Gobo with decision. Are you coming too? They all went. They did not speak another word the whole way. Bambi and Feline felt Gobo's impatient longing to see his mother, so both of them kept silent. Gobo walked ahead hurriedly and did not speak. They let him do as he liked. Only sometimes when he hurried over a cross trail, or when in a sudden burst of speed he took the wrong turning, they called gently to him, this way, Bambi would whisper, or Feline would say, No, no, we go this way now. A number of times they had to cross wide clearings. They noticed that Gobo never stopped at the edge of the thicket, never peered around for a moment when he walked into the open, but simply ran out without any precaution. Bambi and Feline exchanged astonished glances whenever this happened, but they never said a word and followed Gobo with some hesitation. They had to wander around some time and search high and low. Gobo recollected his childhood paths at once. He was delighted with himself, never realizing that Bambi and Feline were leading him. He looked around at them and called, How do you like the way I can still find my way around? They did not say anything, but they exchanged glances again. Soon afterwards they came to a small, leafy hollow. Look cried Feline and glided in. Gobo followed her and stopped. It was the glade in which they were both born and had lived with their mother as little children. Gobo and Feline looked into each other's eyes. They did not say a word. But Feline kissed her brother gently on the mouth. Then they hurried on. They walked to and fro for a good hour. The sun shone brighter and brighter through the branches and the forest grew stiller and stiller. It was the time for lying down and resting. But Gobo didn't feel tired. He walked swiftly ahead, breathing deeply with impatience and excitement, and gazed aimlessly about him. He shrank together whenever a weasel slunk through the bushes at his feet. He nearly stepped on the pheasants, and when they scolded him, flying up with a loud flapping of wings, he was terribly frightened. Bambi marveled at the strange, blind way Gobo moved around. Presently, Gobo stopped and turned to them both. She isn't anywhere here, he cried in despair. Feline soothed him. We'll soon find her, she said, deeply moved. Soon, Gobo. She looked at him. He still had that dejected look she knew so well. Shall we call her? she asked, smiling. Shall we call her the way we used to when we were children? Bambi went away a few steps. Then he saw Aunt Ina. 
she had already settled herself to rest and was lying quietly in a nearby hazel bush. At last, he said to himself. At the same moment, Gobo and Feline came up. All three of them stood together and looked at Ina. She had raised her head quietly and looked sleepily back at them. Gobo took a few hesitating steps and cried softly. Mother? She was on her feet in a flash and stood as though transfixed. Gobo sprang to her quickly. Mother! He began again. He tried to speak but couldn't utter a word. His mother looked deep into his eyes. Her rigid body began to move. Wave after wave of trembling broke over her shoulders and down her back. She did not ask any questions. She did not want any explanation or history. She kissed Gobo slowly on the mouth. She kissed his cheeks and his neck. She bathed him tirelessly in her kisses, as she had when he was born. Bambi and Feline had gone away. Chapter 16 They were all standing around in the middle of the thicket in a little clearing. Gobo was talking to them. Even Friend Hare was there, full of astonishment. He would lift one spoon-like ear, listen attentively, and let it fall back, only to lift it again at once. The magpie was perched on the lowest branch of a young beech and listened in amazement. The jay was sitting restlessly on an ash opposite and screamed every once in a while in wonder. A few friendly pheasants had brought their wives and children and were stretching their necks in surprise as they listened. At times, they would jerk them in again, turning their heads this way and that in speechless wonder. The squirrel had scurried up and was gesturing, wild with excitement. At times he would slide to the ground, at times he would run up some tree or other, or he would balance with his tail erect and display his white chest. Every now and again he tried to interrupt Gobo and say something, but he was always told sternly to keep quiet. Gobo told how he had lain helpless in the snow, waiting to die. The dogs found me, he said. Dogs are terrible. They are certainly the most terrible creatures in the world. Their jaws drip blood, and their bark is pitiless and full of anger. He looked all around the circle and continued. Well, since then I've played with them just as I would with one of you. He was very proud. I don't need to be afraid of them any more. I'm good friends with them now. Nevertheless, when they begin to grow angry, I have a roaring in my ears and my heart stops beating. But they don't really mean any harm by it, and, as I said, I'm a good friend of theirs. But their bark is terribly loud. Go on, Feline urged. Gobo looked at her. Well, he said, they would have torn me to pieces, but he came. Gobo paused. The others hardly breathed. Yes, said Gobo, he came. He called off the dogs, and they quieted down at once. He called them again, and they crouched motionless at his feet. Then he picked me up. I screamed, but he petted me. He held me in his arms. He didn't hurt me. And then he carried me away. Feline interrupted him. What does carry mean? she asked. Gobo began to explain it in great detail. It's very simple, Bambi broke in. Look at what the squirrel does when he takes a nut and carries it off. The squirrel tried to speak again. A cousin of mine, he began eagerly, but the others cried out at once, Be still, be still, let Gobo go on. The squirrel had to keep quiet. He was desperate, and pressing his forepaws against his white chest, he tried to begin a conversation with the magpie. As I was saying, a cousin of mine, he began, but the magpie simply turned her back on him. Gobo told of wonders. Outside, it will be cold, and the storm is howling, but inside, there's not a breath of wind, and it's as warm as in summertime, he said. Ah! screamed the jay. The rain may be pouring outside so that everything is flooded, but not a drop of it gets inside, and you keep dry. 
The pheasants craned their necks and twisted their heads. Everything outside may be snowed under, but inside I was warm, said Gobo. I was even hot. They gave me hay to eat and chestnuts, potatoes and turnips, whatever I wanted. Hay? They all cried at once, amazed, incredulous, and excited. Sweet, new-mown hay. Gobo repeated calmly and gazed triumphantly around. The squirrel's voice cut in. A cousin of mine, keep quiet, cried the others. Where does he get hay and all the rest of the things in winter? asked Feline eagerly. He grows them, Gobo answered. He grows what he wants and keeps what he wants. Feline went on questioning him. Weren't you ever afraid, Gobo, when you were with him? she asked. Gobo smiled a very superior smile. No, dear Feline, he said. Not any more. I got to know that he wouldn't hurt me. Why should I have been afraid? You all think he's wicked, but he isn't wicked. If he loves anybody or if anybody serves him, he's good to him. Wonderfully good. <laughs> Nobody in the world can be as kind as he can. While Gobo was talking that way, the old stag suddenly stepped noiselessly from the bushes. Gobo didn't notice him and went on talking, but the others saw the old stag and held their breath in awe. The old stag stood motionless, watching Gobo with deep and serious eyes. Gobo said, Not only he, but all his children loved me. His wife and all of them used to pet me and play with me. He broke off suddenly. He had seen the old stag. A silence followed. Then the old stag asked in his quiet, commanding voice, What kind of band is that you have on your neck? Everybody looked at it and noticed for the first time the dark strip of braided horsehair around Gobo's neck. Gobo answered uneasily, That? Why, that's part of the halter I wore. It's his halter, and it's the greatest honor to wear his halter. It's... He grew confused and stammered. Everyone was silent. The old stag looked at Gobo for a long time, piercingly and sadly. You poor thing, he said softly at last, and turned and was gone. In the astonished silence that followed, the squirrel began to chatter again. As I was saying, a cousin of mine stayed with him too. He caught him and shut him up, oh, for the longest while, till one day my father. But nobody was listening to the squirrel. They were all walking away. Chapter 17 One day Marina appeared again. She was almost full-grown the winter that Gobo disappeared, but she had hardly ever been seen since, for she lived alone, going her own ways. She had stayed slender and looked quite young, but she was quiet and serious and gentler than any of the others. She had heard from the squirrel and the jay, the magpie and the thrushes and pheasants that Gobo had returned from his wonderful adventures. So she came back to see him. Gobo's mother was very proud and happy of her visit. Gobo's mother had grown rather proud of her good fortune. She was delighted to hear the whole forest talking about her son. She basked in his glory and wanted everybody to know that her Gobo was the cleverest, ablest, and best deer living. What do you think of him, Marina? she exclaimed. What do you think of our Gobo? She didn't wait for an answer but went on. Do you remember how old Nettler said he wasn't worth much because he shivered a little in the cold? Do you remember how she prophesied that he'd be nothing but a care to me? Well, Marina answered, you've had plenty of worry over Gobo. That's all over with now, his mother exclaimed. She wondered how people could still remember such things. Oh, I'm sorry for poor old Nettler. What a pity that she couldn't live to see what my Gobo's become. Yes, 
Poor old Netla, said Marina softly. It's too bad about her. Gobo liked to hear his mother praise him that way. It pleased him. He stood around and basked as happily in her praises as in the sunshine. Even the old prince came to see Gobo, his mother told Marina. She whispered it as though it were something solemn and mysterious. He never let anyone so much as get a glimpse of him before, but he came on account of Gobo. Why did he call me a poor thing? Gobo broke in, in a discontented tone. I'd like to know what he meant by that. Don't think about it, his mother said to comfort him. He's old and queer. But at last, Gobo meant to ease his mind. All day long it keeps running through my head, he said. Poor thing. I'm not a poor thing. I'm very lucky. I've seen more and been through more than all the rest of you put together. I've seen more of the world, and I know more about life than anyone in the forest. What do you think, Marina? Yes, she said. No one can deny that. From then on, Marina and Gobo were always together. This is B.J. Harrison. I hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of Bambi Part 3 of 4 by Felix Salton. If you have enjoyed this book, please become a supporting member of the Classic Tales at classictalesaudiobooks.com. You'll find many ways of supporting us, starting at only $5 a month. Each donation comes with a monthly thank you code for expanding your classic audiobook library. Please become a member today. Thank you for joining me today and allowing classic literature to awaken your better self. Please join me every week and we'll rediscover the greatest stories ever put to paper. Thank you.